of the story is, old Mr. Johnson, he went to the doctor and he heard what he wanted to hear. He had a preconceived idea of what he wanted to hear. And the Holy Spirit is the great psychiatrist. He's the great physician. And sometimes we come to church with a preconceived idea of what we want to hear. And if we're not careful, you miss exactly the way he wants to say it. So I want you to catch it exactly the way the Holy Spirit says it. And I want you to get your Bible out and turn it on. And again, I said that this morning and many of you missed it. This is your turn it on. And turn with me to Mark chapter 1 verse 10. And then we're going to look at Acts, the second chapter, verse 14 through 18. I want to speak to you on the empowering of the Holy Spirit or the personality traits of the Holy Spirit. For some of you, this will be a message that you've never heard before. For others, it'll be just confirming what you already know. In Mark chapter 1, verse 10, it says, And immediately coming up from the water, speaking of Jesus, John saw, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Now Acts 2.14, but Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last day it says, God, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your young men and your your, excuse me, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. While sitting uh, in the airport, which I call purgatory, and there is a purgatory, it's called the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. I was there yesterday completely delayed. While sitting there, you sometimes will read when you're delayed the literature that's laying around, and, and there was a pamphlet there that was left by the Jehovah's Witness. And I'm reading it, and they were trying to describe the Holy Spirit. And they described the Holy Spirit as the active force of nature. And at first that sounds good, and then you begin to realize that if he's the active force of nature, then you relegate him down to wind and rain and all other forms of nature. No, he was there at the creation of nature. He is the, the third person in the Trinity. You would correctly refer to him as he. He has a personality. And there are giftings in that personality. And the Holy Spirit doesn't seek to be mysterious, but he is the most mysterious of the triune Godhead. As I told you this morning, we can read in the Bible about the Father, and we all understand that because we are fathers, or we have fathers, and it's easy for us to relate. We can read about the Son, and we all understand that because we are sons, or we have sons, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it becomes very difficult. But Jesus tells us in John 16 and 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority or about himself. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are, un, that are to come. In other words, the workings of the Holy Spirit are invisible, glorious, and gentle, and within them, he never talks about himself. And the reason is he understands why he has come to earth. He understands that he has come to help glorify Christ, that he's here to point us to Jesus. 
in everything that he does is to help us see Jesus more and teach us how to live a Christ-centered life. Every time someone is healed, it's the Holy Spirit saying, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't Jesus marvelous? Isn't he amazing? In fact, the Holy Spirit knows that he has been sent here from the Father to cause you to fall in love with someone you've never seen. That's his entire purpose. That's his entire mission. And I can draw a parallel between Abraham sending or his, his, not, uh, his son, or Isaac, excuse me, sending Eleazar, Eleazar means mighty divine helper, to go find a bride for his son. And he loads him down with all kinds of giftings and blessings. And Eleazar's whole job, his whole mission, is to cause someone to fall in love with someone she's never seen. And he's so persuasive, he's so loving, that she leaves her entire family to go fall in love with someone she's never seen. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit's job is. He is to cause you to fall in love with Jesus. So when you read the Bible as, and you're striving to walk in the Spirit and you come across the symbols of the Holy Spirit in God's Word, you need to stop and take notice of them because they become essential to our gaining an understanding of what walking in the Spirit is really all about. And what it looks like on a daily basis. And I want you to recognize the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and his personality so that you will not run from them, but you will run to them. He is a personal God who is very familiar with our weaknesses, our struggles, as well as our strength and our victories. And he wants to flood his life into ours that we might overflow to others. Now, if you're wanting to be an overflow of God's love to others, go ahead and say amen. Wow, not very many of you want to be an overflow. If you want to be, have an, be an overflow, come on now, someone say amen. amen. Now, it simply, it's this. Walking in the Spirit is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to accomplish in us what God sent him to do. Walking in the Spirit is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to accomplish in us what God sent him to do. And if you will allow him to work in your life, he will accomplish his plan and purpose in many different ways. And I want you to be able to discern when he's moving. So first, one of the personality traits of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit will come and manifest as rain. He will manifest like rain. As a child, I often heard people say, uh, Holy Spirit, send the rain. Send the rain. In fact, standing in a, on a, in a conference, I was preaching to a, a lot of men in a men's conference. It was very large. And, and the men had their hands lifted and they were singing, let it rain, let it fall from heaven. We need it. We need it. We need your rain. And they kept singing it over and over again. Let it rain, let it fall from heaven. And I noticed that as they worshiped, they were ushering in the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit because he comes or inhabits our praise when we worship. And I'm watching the men, and it, and it was a, an amazing scene as the presence of God just began to descend upon them, and I got the mental image of, oh, the Holy Spirit falls like a, like a rain, like a dew. It's exactly what was taking place. And I'm watching them worship, and the presence of God was being manifest almost in the same way when they would take six quarts of oil and pour it over the head of the high priest in Exodus, the 30th chapter. And the oil would drip down their head and down their beard and down their chest plate. In other words, they were completely saturated with the anointing, with the presence of God. And I'm watching those guys sing, and the thought struck me. I wonder how many of these guys singing that song or making those claims really understand 
or know what they're asking for. And chances are there are many who didn't. Friend, when we talk about the Holy Spirit as rain, the purpose isn't to think, well, it's like rain. No, the purpose is to get wet, completely saturated in his presence, to allow him to shower his personality, which is the anointing, to have it shower on you and completely cover you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. He wants you to be saturated in his presence. He wants you to be saturated in the anointing. Now, in Springfield, Missouri, where I live, we've been there 30-some-odd years, and I'd never seen a gully washer before because I was brought up in Southern California, and basically Southern California is a desert. But in Springfield, Missouri, there'll be a sunny day, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, will come a cloud, and it'll just start dropping rain out of nowhere. And I'm standing in the garage with the door open, looking at my watch, knowing my kids will be pulling into the driveway at any moment after school. And as they pulled in the driveway, suddenly this huge thunderclap and the rain began to fall. And they jumped out of the cars and they ran past me to the garage. They had their backpacks over their head. They're screaming and yelling and they just took off and ran in. Now the Holy Spirit will take the most ordinary things of life and teach you the most amazing prophetic truth. If you'll listen. And the Holy Spirit whispered, my children do the same thing to me. And it caught my attention. I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me a little more than that. They pray for me to manifest my presence in their, in their church, in their life. And then when I begin to fall like the rain, out of fear or ignorance, they head for the back door or they put up a spiritual umbrella. And they duck their heads and they say, no, 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 this is not for me. And they head out the door. When the presence of God begins to do that, whether you are at your home, in your prayer closet, or whether you are in a joint room like this, would you do a favor to yourself and not throw up a spiritual, theological umbrella, a doctrinal thing that you don't understand, but just lift your hands and say, Lord, just, just saturate me with your presence. Let the rain of God just fall upon me. Let the oil of gladness from the Holy Spirit just begin to move in my life. Because, Lord, I want you to manifest as rain. Now, friends, when you're really hungry for more of him, you begin to ask for the rain of his presence. Why? Because the rain has a dual implication. When the rain falls, it brings with it a refreshing. Where there has been a dryness and a barrenness in your life and mine, the Holy Spirit comes and brings a much-needed refreshing. And you read about that in Joel chapter 2, verse 23 through 29. And second, the rain comes and brings restoration. If anyone should know that, it should be those of you living in this region that in the dryness, you know that you cannot bring a harvest. And so you need the rain. And you say, Lord, send the rain. Second, the rain comes and brings restoration. Where there has been loss, the Spirit comes in the form of rain in your life and mine, and he restores. And you experience that, and you read that in Isaiah 28, 11 through 12. Now, the pouring out at Pentecost or that Peter refers to in Acts 2.17, is not an abstract use of the word. It has to do with the latter rain that was brought about by the hastening or the rush of the harvest and fruitful crops. So the Lord is saying that he will send the rain of his spirit to fields. The actual word fields in the Greek translates in our language to people. The fields represents his people that are dry or possibly barren as a promise of hope that whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in right now, 
Whatever situation you find your marriage in or your children in or your direct relationships in right now, the Holy Spirit is here to tell you, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, needed to be refreshed does not mean you have backslid or that you have sinned. Oh, please understand that. Needing to be refreshed does not mean you have backslidden or sinned. It simply means in the heat of the battle, I've grown weary, I'm tired, I need a refreshing, I need an infusion of strength from the Holy Spirit. Because let's get very honest. We are living in a day and age where evil can be felt. The things that happened in Uvalde, Texas, where that young man, Ramos, went in and killed those students. The George Floyd riots, the... The things that were happening at that church in Southern California, that Korean church where the man just runs in and opens fire. Our children are being raised at its highest point in intensity. The confusion in the gender roles, the things that are happening in the government, the things that are happening politically and economically, the strain that's taking place on the farmers with the cost of living, and things are skyrocketing. We are living in a time of lost values. We're living in a time of high pressure. And there is no doubt in my mind that each and every one of you, as you're nodding your head at me, you know what it is to be swimming upstream against a culture that has no morals, no ethics, and no integrity. I spoke to you this morning about honor. Honor is the currency of elevation. Honor is a word that is no longer even validated in our current society. Along with that, they no longer honor marriage. It's amazing how many young people are living together and their fathers are pastors and they're attending church. And we say, there's nothing big about that. That's just what they do. No, that is sin in the eyes of God. We're continually swimming upstream against a culture with no morals, ethics, or integrity. So if you need to be refreshed, it doesn't mean you backslidden or you have sinned. It simply means in the heat of the battle, you've grown weary. And if I had another night, I would teach you on what it is, the difference between being tired and being weary. Tired is a result of hard work. Getting up in the morning, working the farm, getting up in the morning, driving to town, going to work. No longer do we have a 40-hour work week in America. We now have a 60-hour work week or more. There's no such thing as a work schedule. It's now a life sentence. It's a life sentence. Combine that with all the other things that are taking place. That tired is a result of physical labor. Weary is a spiritual attack from hell to push you to isolation, to cause you to get to the point that you throw your hands in the air and you say, that's it. I'm done. See, weary, no matter how much you sleep, no matter how much you rest, it's never enough. And you just, once you deal with this, here comes that. And once you deal with that, here comes this. And it's a constant merry-go-round of things that you're dealing with. When you're just tired... You can go on vacation, you go hang out with your husband or your wife, you go to a nice place, you get up and have brunch, you kiss a little bit, you hug a little bit, oh, I feel a lot better. Weary, that's a whole other ballgame. Weary is a spiritual attack. And there's many who are dealing with that spirit of weariness. That's why Galatians tells us, do not, be, you know, do not stop doing what is right, for a good season you shall reap if you faint not. No, friends, needing to be refreshed doesn't mean you've backslid. It simply means in the heat of the battle, I've grown weary. I'm tired. I need a refreshing and infusion of strength. I need a refreshing and a restoration in my spirit. So I lift my hands and I lift my voice and I say, Holy Spirit, would you send the rain of your presence to my life?
Usually when I'm dealing with this, it's when I have been pouring out and pouring out. Well, I'll be very transparent. It happened to me. It hit me in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport about three and a half weeks ago. I was preaching for Denny Curran in Cold Spring, Minnesota. And we had added a Wednesday night, and I'd done staff things. We baptized about 70 to 75 people on Wednesday night. It was a glorious mountaintop experience. I get it to Minneapolis airport, fly to Dallas, and I'm delayed, and I am weary. I'm tired. I drove from Cold Springs to Minnesota, Minneapolis, at 2.30 in the morning. I get there at 4 o'clock. Things were delayed, and I'm tired, and I'm walking through the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, and I look at the sign, and it says, Springfield, Missouri, delayed two and a half hours, and I'm whooped. About that time, my cell phone buzzes, and get now, friends, it's about 5 o'clock in the morning. And I look at my phone, and technology is amazing because I can see my mom. And I hit yes, and I look at her, and she tells me, mijo, in Spanish, baby. I said, yeah, mom. She said, the Holy Spirit just woke me up. You need a little encouraging, don't you? I said, yeah. I was on Terminal B, American Airlines, and I walked to the window And I lifted my hands as I had my earbuds in, and I could hear my mother just singing and worshiping, walking around the house just worshiping. And it's at that moment I said, Lord, would you send a refreshing and a restoration to every person standing in my circle? And it begins with me. And you might be thinking, well, Randy, that's awful weird to do in the airport. Obviously, you haven't seen the weird people in the airport. I've seen them do yoga. I've seen him do my minute. I mean, it's weird. And literally, I had my hands raised, and my mother was just singing in Spanish and then in English and then a heavenly language. She was just worshiping the Lord. And I could just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit like rain, much in the same way Aaron experienced the anointing of the Holy Spirit as they poured that oil on him, and he began to be anointed for ministry. It was a refreshing, and it was a restoration in my spirit. And there are many of you here tonight, you're nodding your head, and you're saying, yeah, Randy, that's exactly what I need. I need a refreshing and a restoration. Second, the Holy Spirit comes as rivers. Friends, rivers are channels or conduits to places where the refreshing of water is needed. And John pinpoints that the work of the Spirit as rivers of living water was to become available after Jesus' ascension in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. In fact, Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, he likens the Holy Spirit to rivers as he shouts in a loud voice. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is an amazing study. Every year, the children of Israel go out into the wilderness, and they build a tabernacle, and they thank God for the water that came out of the rock for Pastor Moses and 2.5 million Jews, roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island. Imagine that. Moses brings out of Egypt 2.5, almost 3 million people, the population of Rhode Island. The United States government, actually it was the, uh, the military, the army quartermaster, figured out that Moses would need 11 million gallons of water every day to keep 2.5 million children of Israel off of dehydration. 11 million gallons of water a day. 16 tons of manna he would need to keep them every day. And it would take two freight trains long at the cost of $6 million a day if it happened today. Now, that's your tax dollars at work. 
And God didn't do it for one day. God did it for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. And we come in here tonight with a thimble full of faith asking God, can you help my church grow? Can you do a miracle in my life? Can you meet our need? Well, Jesus is standing there at the Feast of Tabernacles. They are thanking God for what he did in the past. And standing in their midst is the chief cornerstone that the builder would soon reject. And he gets so overwhelmed with the call of of, of the ministry in his life that the Bible says he cries out, He that believeth in me out of his innermost belly shall flow rivers of living water. And of course, he's making reference to what would take place at Pentecost, Penta being 50, 50 days after the resurrection, when the Holy Spirit would be given to the church in an upper room. He that believeth in me. Out of his innermost belly will flow rivers of living water. You know, tonight I'm reminded, whenever I teach on uh, Pentecost and whenever I teach on Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, I'm reminded I was invited to a large church that will remain nameless. And they looked at me and they said, hey, pastor, you've got 22.5 minutes to preach. I said, really, 0.5? Why 0.5? They said, well, at the 0.5 mark, all of our satellite churches... They're all watching online. And all of our satellite churches, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people in those churches, they're going to have a mirror ball fall down from the ceiling, just like ours. And the lights are going to hit it. And the smoke is going to come out from underneath the the stage. And the video is going to play Jesus riding a donkey down the Via Della Rosa. And it's at that time that we feel that they'll be the ripest, and so we want you to cast the net for salvation right at that time. Now, listen, I was doing the best job I could to stay at 22.5. I was a guest, and I was doing the best I can. Now, I got to tell you, there was a group over in this section on, to my far left. That's a very large sanctuary. I could only see the first five rows because it was pitch black behind that, and they had all the lights and sound. It looked like a Rascal Flats concert, I'm telling you. And they had the lights going and the sound. And they had an amazing praise band. They had a guy playing guitar with a high uh, black hat, a long beard. And he was just, he was just rocking. And they were all rocking. And they're singing, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. And it was a whole group of college kids over in this section. Sitting in the middle was a group from Teen Challenge. They didn't attend there. Teen Challenge is the ministry, of course. That David Wilkerson in 1962 started to the alcoholics, the drug addicts, and the gang members in New York City. And there was about five rows of those guys that were there. I had just spoke at their conference, announced where I was going to be Sunday, and they came out in mass. And they're watching me. And the moment I got to the point where I said, He that believeth in me, out of his innermost belly shall flow rivers of living water. A young man who moments earlier, who was standing in the midst of that college group, he stood up and he manifested a demon. And his head rolled back and his eyes rolled and the devil started putting on a show as he started growling like a dog. And all those kids who moments earlier were expressing their friendship with God, <laughs> they all went, And they were gone. And they were getting away as fast as they could. Now I've got a major problem. See, because they don't teach you this stuff in seminary. And all the guys were sitting on the front row, the pastors. They looked so cute. They all had their little iPads, you know, and they all had it all figured out. And they were watching the time clock. And you know they looked at each other thinking, 
we didn't discuss an illustrated sermon in the pre-service meeting. Rivers of living water. I love it when the Holy Spirit just takes over. And they're looking there, and they're looking at their lead pastor, and he's looking at me with this blank look on his face. So now I've got a problem. I either come down here and explain to these guys what's taking place and what's happening, or I go over here and I deal with this demon-possessed guy, and I never get asked back. Well, I didn't have to do a single thing. Because two counselors from Teen Challenge, they stood up. It was Hispanic guys. They were all tatted up. They had tats. They, were, they had on uh, T-shirts, you know, uh, well, they call them wife beater shirts. But they had a, and they stood up and they had their lanyards and they looked at me and they said, Orale, bro, we got this, man. We got this. And they took, they, they started walking towards this demon. Now, I don't believe they meant to knock him down. I don't believe they meant to knock him over. But that's exactly what happened. And they went down. The three of them went down in the, in the aisle. I couldn't see them, but I could hear them. Now, to Teen Challenge, this is just everyday stuff. Rivers of living water. And I can hear them over there in Spanish. Ayúdame, mi señor, in the, nombre de, in the name of Jesus, we pray. And they're praying over this young man, and they're casting out this demon. What seemed like a long time was probably only 30 or 40 seconds. And I'm watching these guys. Now they're all standing and they're all craning and looking. Thousands of people now are standing and watching. The young man stands up. And his voice booms across the auditorium. And he throws his hands in the air. He says, Jesus, I love you for you set me free. I didn't have to beg people to run the altar. I didn't have to pour six quarts of oil over their head and blow on them and knock them down and get them up and knock them down and get them up. I didn't have to sell Bible junk in the lobby to support the ministry. And I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of standing on a platform or on a ridge and having that that gully washer come in and see water rushing in to a dry gulch. That's exactly what it looked like when hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people, the building sat 5,000 and it was packed. They came running to the altar. I didn't have to beg them, Jeff. I didn't have to ask them. I didn't have to count. They came running. Rivers of living water. Now people are laying everywhere all over the altar. And I look up and I see that pastor and I'm standing there watching him. And this young pastor, a communicator par excellence. I mean, the guy is a communicator. And I see him and there's two couples in front of him. And he looks at me and tears are rolling down his face. And he's got a look of horror on his face. And he disappears up the side aisle. And I thought, okay, I am in trouble. Now, I asked for altar workers. They don't even have altar workers. Why, Pastor? What do you, we don't have altar workers. I found out the reason they didn't have them is because they didn't have altars. So I looked at Teen Challenge, and I said, okay, guys, anybody with a lanyard that's a counselor, let's go. And we started praying for people. And people are being saved, delivered, and healed. Halfway through the altar service, the youth pastor comes running up. Now, I've got to pause here and explain to you what this kid looks like. He's shaved on both sides of his head. He's got a mohawk that's standing like this, and it's four different colors, purple, yellow, green. It looked like the NBC peacock had landed on top of his head. He's got earrings in his nose, his lip, 
all the way around his ear here, all the way around his ear here. He looks like a human pincushion. And he comes running up to me during the altar service, and he looks right at me. Pastor, pastor. I said, yeah, buddy, what's up? He said, they, they want you to announce that you're going to be here Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. This is a Sunday afternoon service. And I said, no, 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 I'm flying out. Not anymore. <laughs> and they want you to pr- stop in the office on Monday for staff meeting. We've got all kinds of questions. I walk into that staff meeting, and they're all sitting at a long conference table. When I walk in, they had been there for several hours already. And (laughs) my father-in-law used to call the expression, they look like two burnt holes in a blanket. Their eyes. They're red. They're puffy. And I said, hi, guys. What's up? They all looked at me and they said, our cell phones have been buzzing like crazy. The church Facebook and Instagram and Twitter page is exploding. I said, are people angry? The lead pastor says, no, Brother Ruiz, they're repenting. He said, did you see that, those two couples that were with me? And I said, yeah, I did. He said, <laughs> they were the two deacons in our church and when that kid who by the way has grown up here he's here every time we open the doors he's been here since he's in kindergarten now in college he said when he stood up and said Jesus you set me free they came to me and they admitted that they had been wife swapping between the two of them two couples for the last two and a half to three years So he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, how is it that I can have major leadership in my church living in sin in moral failure and a young man who grew up in our church demon possessed? I looked right at him and said, sir, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's why we must preach about sin, even to the ones we think that are not dealing with it, because Satan will continually go after each and every one of us. However, if you can have a demon possessed person in your church and you not know it, You've got a major problem. When's the last time you called your men to a sacred assembly? Not just the women, not the men, the women, but the men. Because God always has a man. He looked right at me and he said, Pastor, we've been so busy getting everything right with the lights and the sound and the coffee that we have forgotten the most important thing. I looked at him and smiled and said, don't worry, my friend. All you have is bait. That's what that is. The lights, the sound, the, the smoke, the, the all, that's just bait. But the Holy Spirit changes lives. John pinpoints that work of the Spirit as rivers of living water. And the reason the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in rivers is because he wants the rain of his presence that falls in your life individually, not only be a refreshing and a restoration upon you and your family, but also that the Lord would make you an overflowing river of his Holy Spirit fullness, life, and love to others. Because on a practical level, the Lord wants people to get in touch with who he really is. 
And that takes millions of God's children, God's people, who will ask the Holy Spirit to send the rain of his presence to every one of our churches, to every one of our people. Lord, let the rain fall into our life. And as the rain comes, may it become an overflow out of me. As the rain falls, let the rivers of living water be awakened in me and gush out of our life into the dry places of your family, your jobs, becoming channels or conduits to places where the refreshing of water is really needed where the refreshing of water is really needed. You will carry that river with you to places I will never go. God will place you there. And many people will email or they'll, they'll social media and they'll say, Pastor Andy, please pray. I'm the only Christian on my job. And I'll answer, that's why you're there. Rivers of living water want to flow through you on a daily basis. So that is what is meant when the Bible says the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in your church, in your life, as rivers of living water. Third, the Holy Spirit comes as wind. The Spirit of the Lord coming as wind depicts his power and his guidance. When Jesus tells Nicodemus about the new birth experience in John 3 and 8, he tells him that it's not like a tangible birth where you can see the baby is born and check the clock for its time of arrival. Rather, the work of the Spirit breathes into a life and something transpires that cannot be duplicated or recognized. And there's a dynamism, uh, explosion, but also the gentleness like the whisper of a breeze. And you can't necessarily see where it comes from or where it goes, but all of us can attest to times when God has done and God has come and dealt with us and no human being could tell you how it happened. You just knew it was God dealing with you. And you can't necessarily see where it came from or where it goes, but all of us can attest at times when God has come and dealt with us. And again, no human can explain how, but you knew that was the power of God. At Pentecost in Acts 2 and 3, it wasn't a wind that blew in. It was the sound of a rushing wind like a hurricane. That sound depicting God's power and his guidance, not the sound of people speaking in tongues, No, that's not what caught their attention. It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit is sovereign God. He's dynamic. He's irresistible. And he is unstoppable. So we pray, Holy Spirit, we are longing to be empowered that you would send the sovereign, dynamic, irresistible, and unstoppable move of your spirit. Send it like a mighty rushing wind to animate our failing limbs, that each and every one of us would be filled with a supernatural power from heaven. Several years ago, Joplin, Missouri, had an F6 tornado. Winds of 250 miles per hour. Almost completely leveled half the city. Joplin is 70 miles west of Springfield, Missouri. The next morning, I woke and went outside. The the skies were so gray, and there was paper all over the front lawn. And as I looked closely, it was medical reports from the hospital in Joplin. It was x-rays and and doctor scripts, and, and I didn't know what had happened. We go back inside, and my wife's looking at the news. She said, an F6 just hit Joplin. I said, well, that's what all, it leveled Mercy Hospital. We were watching the news. It leveled Home Depot. We were watching the news, and they were explaining that there was a man filling his gas tank, and he said, it sounded like a freight train in the sky. And the Holy Spirit whispered, that's what they heard at Pentecost. 
a freight train in the sky. They didn't hear people speaking in tongues till after. First, they heard the power, the strength. And the Holy Spirit wants to give you power. He wants to give you strength. The speaking in tongues is the physical evidence of the power and the strength. There was a lady that she was being interviewed and she said, we were in the Home Depot parking lot. I got my kids in the car really quick because we saw, we heard again a freight train in the sky. Lord, would you send that dynamic, sovereign, irresistible, unstoppable, powerful move to each and every one of us that we might have a heavenly prayer language that would energize our failing limbs, give us a supernatural infusion of power and guidance as it was on the day of Pentecost, so let it be again. We don't need another Pentecost. You just need to operate in the one we've already had. By an upraised hand, Hamill will say, that's what I need. I need that power. Come on, I need that guidance. I need it, Lord. Fourth, the Holy Spirit comes as oil. And if I had the privilege of being here every week, I'd probably break this up in multiple series. But the Holy Spirit comes as oil. The anointing, the oil of Scripture is directly related to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And you read that in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. The Holy Spirit's anointing makes us sensitive. 1 John 2 and 20. And how many times have you sensed something was wrong or sensed something was right, but you didn't know why or how you knew? The Holy Spirit will bring you intuition. He'll whisper to you. The Spirit of God, by his anointing and presence, confirms that he is the Spirit of truth and holiness and wisdom. Obeying the Spirit means that he will give you wisdom when you need it in the practicals of everyday life. Friends, all the primary offices of Scripture, prophets, priests, and kings, all have to do with the anointing. And all of these offices, every single one of us are called to. You say, well, wait a second, Randy, I'm not called to be a prophet. Yes, you are. But not in the way you have seen depicted on Christian television and the abuses that we're giving. Let me give you the scriptural reference to that. As prophets, we are to speak the word of the Lord. In other words, there are times when the Holy Spirit will give you words of comfort, of exhortation, or sensitive counsel to speak into the lives of people, all based on the written word of God. There's enough prophetic word in scriptures. And you've got to learn to say, Holy Spirit, I need the oil of anointing in my life. I need a word of comfort, of exhortation, or sensitive counsel, because you will deal with people on a daily basis that I will never, that Jeff will never, and God wants to use you as his hand extended. Landing in Springfield, I was heading to my truck. I called my truck Shanita. I do, I call her Shanita, because she needed new brakes, and she needed new tires. She needed everything, And I'm sitting there, and my phone again buzzes, and it's a young lady who I have known since she was a child. Now she's fully grown. She's mature. She's she's married, and she's at Evangel University. Her husband is attending some of the Theological Seminary there in Springfield. And I preached for her grandpa, and I preached for her dad, and she calls me. She says, Pastor, Pastor, where are you? And I said, hey, what's going on? She said, no, listen, the baby has come early, and I knew if that baby had come now, it's really early. And she said, I'm so angry at God. Can you come? I said, yeah, I'll be right there. She's at Mercy Hospital in Springfield. I get in the truck, and I call Carlene, and I said, babe, I'll be late. I need you to pray. And I'm driving there, 
and the Holy Spirit and I are having a conversation. And I said, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, and of sensitive counsel. Have you ever had to deal with someone who's going through a trial and you knew that God was calling you to speak into their lives, but you've got nothing? You had better have the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. And it's about a 15-minute drive to the hospital, and I'm pulling in, and still the Holy Spirit is giving me nothing. And I walk in, and I ask the information desk, and they said, neonatal unit, fourth floor. I get in the elevator. I'm saying, Lord, I need words of comfort. Come on, God. I need words of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive counsel. Absolutely nothing. The elevator doors open, neonatal unit, Mercy Hospital, and there she's standing, waiting for me at the elevator bank. She's got one hand holding the gown like this. She's got the other one holding the IV bottle, and she looks right at me. She's just a tiny little thing, a half pint, I call her. She's not even a full pint, she's just a half pint. And she looks at me, she said, it's not fair. And I'm getting off the elevator, and she's not moving. She's standing her ground. It's not fair. Now she begins to cry. And I go, I know, baby, I know it's not fair. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And in my spirit, I'm saying, Lord, now would be a good time of words of comfort, of exhortation, and sensitive counsel. She said, I'm so angry at God. Why us, pastor? We're up to our eyeballs in debt because of seminary and because of Bible college. My dad's a preacher. My granddad's a preacher. My husband's a good man. I said, oh, I know he is. Lord, in my spirit, Lord, be a good time now for words of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive count. All of heaven is silent. She said, I'm so angry. And I said, that's okay. Listen to me. It's okay to get angry at God. You say, well, wait a second. That, the scripture says it's okay to get angry as long as you sin not. At what point does it become sin? At the point that you become bitter. At the point where you become doubtful and bitter. I said, where's your husband? He's back there with the baby. Now we're walking down the hallway. We're headed to this room, and I'm saying, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive counsel. We walk into the room, and this young man who is so gifted, he's about six foot three and good-looking kid. I could see him hovered over this acrylic incubator, and he's got his arms inside his little rubber gloves, and he's, he's praying. And I got up real close, and I could see the pool of tears that have pooled on that acrylic. Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive counsel, and the Holy Spirit finally speaks. Randy, have them welcome me into their human experience. I got to tell you, the preacher in me said, that's it. I'm looking for a hermeneutical, homiletical from the Greek to the Aramaic. And again, it's not about me. It's almost as if the Lord was saying, just be quiet and get out of the way. Words of comfort, of exhortation. And sensitive counsel. I said, well, guys, 
The Holy Spirit wants me to have you welcome him into your human experience, and then I'm to get out of the way and go pray. She said, I can't do it. That young man pulled his hands out from the acrylic incubator. He looked right at me. He goes, yes, we can, Pastor. And it came out like a small little tiny whisper. But it was Jesus. 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 All they needed was Jesus. He lifted his hands and just began to worship and praise the name of Jesus. And I felt so insignificant as the presence of God filled that room and literally my knees began to buckle. Have you ever been in a room where the Holy Spirit walks in and his presence is so tangible that your knees buckle? And I understood that Daniel couldn't even hold up his head. And this young man lifts his hands and he starts to sing. I exalt thee. I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord. And I exalt thee, I exalt thee. I exalt thee, O Lord, for thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. And I just went over in the corner and laid down on that concrete floor. I'm here to tell you that that young child now is in their terrible twos, and it's terrible. But it's also healthy and strong. Thou art exalted far above all gods. He's going to call you at some time to give words of comfort, of exhortation, and sensitive counsel. As a priest, the Lord wants to anoint us for worship to renew us so that our worship does not become stale, habitual, or formal. And as kings, we don't just get anointed once and for all. It takes fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit for the dominion of his kingdom and the authority of his life to happen through us. And when it does, we can move in confidence about how to rule our homes and our businesses and how to deal with our children and our relationships. However, friend, listen to me. God is not going to anoint you with the ability to rule when you try to manage things on your own. And also I believe tonight the Lord wants to anoint those who have been overcome by the spirit of mourning. Anointing them with the spirit of rejoicing. The spirit of mourning, not just in the sense of having lost someone that is dear to your heart, but the loss of a dream. The loss of a better life. The loss that you'll ever have that relationship with that child again. Some of you, the devil is convinced that you'll never have that relationship with that daughter or that son or that brother-in-law or that mother or father. And it's a mourning that you've gone through or that this church has reached its ultimate goal. You've got 30 people. What more do you need? You're in a small town. You'll never move to anything else. And you're mourning that, Lord, we, will we ever grow past this point? 
possibly a spirit of mourning that brings a heaviness or a depression. And the anointing brings the lifting of our heads with the refreshing of seeing beyond today, not with a superficial optimism, but with a deep abiding of hope that has been gotten to us by God the Father. We need the anointing. Would you say that with me? We need the anointing. Now say, I need the anointing. I need the anointing. I need it. I'm going to give you the last two very quickly, but I want, I want you to come and play softly for me. Because I've got to get you in this altar. We need the anointing. We need it. I told you this morning that I would touch on, if I didn't say it this morning, that I wouldn't bring it now, it'd stop right here. But the Holy Spirit comes as wine. And I want to address a very cultural issue in the church. I just want to touch on it. Ephesians 5.8 draws an analogy for the symbolism of the Holy Spirit as wine. In the gospel, Jesus describes the new work of God in our life conveyed by the ministry of the Spirit as new wine coming into old vessels. So it's perfectly appropriate symbol in the light of God's word. Still, let me ask you, what does it take to excite your life? The issue isn't just alcohol. The issue is how much of what the world offers does it take to get you going? And the Bible doesn't say that we are disallowed from enjoying a number of things that come with life. But friend, you can find out how much a person is living the Jesus life by how much they need the stimulants of this world. The separated Christian life is not a call to isolation, but to insulation. You live in the world, but his spirit in you keeps out the world's pollution because he is the new wine. Boy, that's a rich teaching. He's the new wine. The world will try to manufacture the new wine. Boy, you make me wish I had time to teach you. And the world will say things like, well, you need something to get you going. You need something to calm you down. It's happy hour. And they'll push the wine that'll get you, you know, calm at night or or it'll get you a drink to give you, I call it beer muscles. These guys drink so much, suddenly now they have an alter ego. They get beer muscles. They get loud. It's nothing more than a counter of the new wine of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, from the Greek to the Aramaic, wine represents an everlasting, continual joy. Oh, don't miss it. An everlasting, continual joy. Why does Jesus, why does he, his mother come to him at the wedding at Canaan? Why does he create wine to start his new ministry? Because wine is continual joy. But the world cannot manufacture joy like Jesus can. And pretty soon the world runs out of joy. My Lord. The party runs out. And there's no joy left. And that's why when he made the wine, he said, first he said, take this to the leader. Take this to the governor. The governor didn't want to take it because he said, you know, usually they give you the worst at the end. I'm used to the best all my life. When he drinks it, he says, I've never tasted anything like this. This is the most sweet. This is the most amazing wine It's everlasting joy. When you drink of that wine, you'll never thirst again. 
So how much of this world's sustenance do you need? It tells me that what you're doing is you are allowing the world to give you a counterfeit. And the separated Christian life is not a call to isolation, but insulation. Jesus is the new wine. And the Holy Spirit wants to manifest that way. Man, that's powerful. Last, the Holy Spirit comes as fire. Well, quickly. At Pentecost, the Bible says that tongues of fire appear over the heads of each and every one who gathered, Acts 2 and 3. And the Holy Spirit comes as fire to work something deep into the substance of our lives that will shape things around us rather than us taking on the shape of the world. (laughs) As fire, he works in a dual way. First, to probe the inner recesses of our life, to refine us as gold or silver has to be refined as fire, and to temper our personalities by causing there to be a penetration of fire into our system. And second, the purifying fire burns out the adversary. When the three Hebrew children were thrown into the fiery furnace, the Bible says they didn't burn, their hair didn't burn, their clothes didn't burn. However, the ropes that were keeping them in bondage, it did burn, which tells me when the fire of the Holy Spirit comes in your life, he burns up the powerful bondages that are holding you captive, the bondage of alcohol. The bondage of pornography, the bondage of drug addiction, the bondage of lying, the bondage of fear, doubt, worry, and depression. It is the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life that sets you free. It's the fire of God. It manifests in you and it burns away every carnal thing that's hindering you. It's the fire that sets us free. And lastly, the Holy Spirit comes as a dove. The Holy Spirit coming as a dove is gentle and a symbol of peace. What the dove did is important as well. The dove came and rested on Jesus in Matthew 3.16. I want you to pay very close attention as we're closing. The Holy Spirit wants to come and rest upon you and me, not in a sweeping throughout the world, a tidal wave of revival. Oh, listen, guys. I know that there are people on TV saying, well, we're going to have a massive revival just before Jesus comes like we've seen. And th- yes, we are going to, but it's going to be individual revival as he comes to each individual person. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that are attributed to the Holy Spirit that I want nothing to do with. While preaching in a conference, the names will remain, uh, I'll change to protect the innocent. But I'm sitting on the platform and they're going hog wild. And they're saying things like, "Woo, the Holy Spirit's coming on me. And they're just shaking. And I'm, I'm watching that. And they're saying, fire, fire, fire. And I'm watching. And I turned to the guy who was the, uh, out of the national office with me in the headquarters office. And I said, do you hear a dog barking? He goes, no, no, it's not, that, it's not a dog. It's that pastor down there. And he's saying fire. And it's coming out like, like a high pitch. And it sounded like a chihuahua. Fire, fire. And I'm watching this thing going, holy smoke, this is a... And I sat there, and I said, Holy Spirit, if this is you, I want it. I was supposed to preach that night. If this is you, I want it. But if it's not you, I want nothing to do with it. And the Holy Spirit says, Randy, did what you see humble you? No, sir. Does what you see make you realize you're a sinner that needs to be saved by grace? No, sir. Does what you see cause you to want to lay in my presence and hunger for more of me? I said, no. It's bringing me confusion. 
then what's being attributed to me, I'm not there because when I manifested myself in the upper room, when I manifested myself on Jesus, I came as a gentle dove. You know the Holy Spirit is there when no one wants to move. And I told you earlier that everything the Holy Spirit does, he points us to Jesus. That night watching that, he wasn't pointing, it wasn't pointing to Jesus. It was all upon that person. Look at who I am. William Seymour, the pastor at Azusa, Azusa Revival in California, he would bury his head in an old wooden shoebox in the altar. And the people would come to him and say, Pastor, you're embarrassing us. Blinded eyes are being opened. The deaf are hearing. The lame are walking. Look, they're throwing wheelchairs to the side. God is moving. And we're looking to the sacred desk to ask to find the mighty man of God to validate it. William Seymour said, Son, in a true move of God, there's no such thing as a mighty man of God, only men and women that serve a mighty God. And I believe the Holy Spirit comes as a gentle dove. And the revival that we will see just prior to Christ's coming will be that dove that comes to individuals, not sweeping through the world as a tidal wave of revival, but to come to each and every one of us personally. Remember, when Noah had no place to rest his ark because the winds and the storms were tossing his family about, he sent out the dove. In essence, saying, Holy Spirit, my hope is in you. We'll find the place You'll find a place of rest for us in the midst of the flood. Do you agree with me that we are in the midst of a moral lack? That sin is flooding our nation. People are in turmoil. They're scared. And they're saying, what's next? I'm saying, release the dove. He'll find a place for you to land in the midst of the storm. And as things are raging all around us, Because the Bible tells us in the last days the church will turn apostate. There'll be a remnant that'll have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in meetings like this all around the country. And people ask me, why do you go to small churches? And I smile and say, because I never know where my for such a time as this will be. Oh, maybe tonight God will speak to someone and you'll get so on fire with God that you become the next Billy Graham. Maybe you're the next Catherine Kuhlman. Oral Roberts. Oh, maybe revival will start because of these meetings. And I'll get wind in 45 days or 60 or a year that there's a revival in North Dakota. And lives are being changed. Because the people started praying for the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this next week, I would like every one of us to take one symbol of the Holy Spirit each day and invite him to do a fresh work in your life. Let Jesus minister the richness of the Holy Spirit to you. For the Bible says it is Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, Mark 1.8, and he will pour rain on you. So tomorrow morning, will your prayer be, Lord, would you just pour rain of your presence on my family? On Tuesday, Lord, open rivers in us, rivers of living water. On Wednesday, breathe wind into our life. On Thursday, anoint us with your oil. On Friday, fill us with holy wine. On Saturday, refine the temper with your fire. And Sunday, Lord, send the Holy Spirit to come and bring your peace. That's what we're asking for. Every head bowed.
I'm going to call you to this altar. And I'm going to call you to find a place to kneel and pray all over this altar. And we're going to walk this thing through. Holy Spirit, would you send your rain, the rain of your presence. In fact, right now, can you just lift your hands and prepare yourself right now? Just say, Lord, would you send your presence, send your rain. Oh, just ask him for it. Just ask him for it. In the name of Jesus, just ask him for it. In fact, I want you to stand and I want to sing this song that she's playing. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come on, sing it. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Won't you come in your strength and your power? Come in your own special way. Maybe tonight you need a restoration. Maybe you're like me at that airport. You're saying, Lord, I just need a restoration. I need a refreshing. And you're going to come and lay in this altar, and you're going to feel rivers of living water just begin to bubble up inside of you. Don't stop the tears. Don't throw up a spiritual umbrella. Just come and say, Lord, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty, Lord. I've been fighting the battle with my family, and I can't do it without you. At the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to step out in faith and find an altar and say, Lord, right now, pour a rain of your presence on our church. Bring a refreshing and a restoration. Lord, send the presence of God. Open rivers, Lord, in the name of Breathe wind into our life, Father. Anoint us with oil. Fill our body with holy wine. Send the fire of God to set us free. Allow your peace of God to go with us. At the count of three, as she plays softly, you find your place to come and just kneel all over this altar. Don't miss him, friend. For the Holy Spirit comes and he moves in wave. And the longer you wait on him, the more he'll come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. At the count of three, you come. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Just come. One. Get ready. Two. Three. Right now, just come. Just come. All of you that are hungry, all of you that are thirsty, just come. That's it. Just come. And I know this is a stretch for some. It's beyond the norm. It's beyond something you normally do. It's just not a part of your, your makeup and who you are. And I, I completely understand that. But something happens when you step out in faith and say, Lord, this is how I'll pray at home. I'm just going to wait on you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We wait, Lord. We wait, Lord. Would you ask him to come as rain to your life? Lord, I need a refreshing and a restoration. Lord, just send that refreshing. Just send it, Lord. In the name of Jesus. That refreshing, that restoration. Jesus. Jesus.
Jesus. Yes, Lord. Come, sweet spirit, I pray. Won't you come in your strength and your power? Yes, Lord. Can we get real practical while you're praying? Just say, Lord, I welcome you into my human experience. I I welcome you into everything that we're dealing with, Lord. And I want you to completely be honest with God. Lord, I'm welcoming you into my children's lives. I I welcome you into our home, Lord, into our human experience, Father. Everything we're dealing with. I'm just leaving it with you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, right now, I ask that you would just begin to give them words of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive counsel, the people that they will be dealing with this week. There are people right now listening to me that you're going to go and have to deal with people tomorrow that you need words of comfort, of exhortation. Maybe somebody on the job. Jesus. Jesus. In Jesus' name. How could I teach and preach the way I have and not pray for those that are needing healing? If you need healing... The Bible says that you are to come to the elders of the church. We are to anoint you with oil, the oil of gladness, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God that sets you free from those pains. And if you need healing in your body, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then I'm going to ask that you just kind of wave your hand, and Pastor, if you'll find some anointing oil, and we're going to come to you, and we're going to pray and believe God to heal your body. Sometimes the healing comes instantaneous. There's other times it's a gradual healing. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I do believe in healing. So if you are here right now and you say, Randy, I just, I'm dealing with some things in my body that I need God to touch. I need a healing. If that's you, I just want you to wave right now. Just, just wave. Okay, Jeff. I need you to keep your hands up. I need the leaders of this church, board members or deacons, or just start to move or just start laying hands. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have your hand up, they'll come to you. Right here, Pastor. Right here. Jen, come here. Right here. See, we don't have to make a show of it. God's going to heal. The Holy Spirit is the healer.
Lord, I pray right now for the oil of anointing oil to flow, the healing in her body. In Jesus' name. Offer your glory, Lord. Offer your glory, Lord. Lord, I pray that blood disorders now would come to normal and hearts would begin to beat to normal, Lord. And we pray, Father, that lung capacity would begin to expand in many that are here. And Lord, we pray for healing to flow. Not because we deserve it, but because we are joint heirs with Christ. In the name of Jesus. Send rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Would you ask him now to carry it through you? Lord, that I would carry this to the places that I am going. In Jesus' name. Says whatever God tells you to sing, you just lead us. Just lead, just turn her mic on and just let her just lead us. If you're done praying, I just want you to worship him. Remember, he comes in waves. And the more you wait, the more he comes. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Sing it again. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Lord, we come against anger, bitterness. If those things are hindering, it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that burns those things away. Pornography and addictions, Lord. Would you begin right now to begin to burn out depression and oppression? In the name of Jesus. Fear and anger. Yes, Lord. You want to come and play? Come and sing and play. His name is wonderful. 